Well, good morning, Jericho Ridge Community Church. I want to thank you for having me this morning uh, remotely as we continue on your series of Matthew together. Today, I want to explore the entirety of Matthew chapter 18. But rather than walking through it in a linear fashion, we are actually going to start in the middle. A few years ago, I took a preaching course and I decided that I would preach on Matthew 18 verses 15 to 17, which is the passage about how to work through conflict in the church. At the time, I associated this particular passage with church discipline. But as I settled in to write this sermon and applied some new exegetical processes, I realized that to understand this passage, those two verses, one has to read the broader chapter that it finds itself in. So today, I invite you to join me in the middle of chapter 18 of Matthew as we head into the entirety of it on either side. Our starting text this morning talks about dealing with sin in the church. The interpretation of this text that I was most used to as I grew up was that if someone has sinned in the church, then it was meant to be addressed with them. And if after repeated and escalating attempts to get them to correct their behavior that they didn't repent, then they are to be removed from the community, excommunicated. From my understanding of the world, the steps that are presented follow a pretty natural progression and a natural conclusion. If someone continues to do wrong, ultimately they will get what they deserve. The grace of God in this text is the fact that they got more than one chance to correct their behavior, but ultimately, if they continue down their destructive path, they will be like the sinners and the tax collectors, outsiders, the other. At first glance, it seems obvious that Jesus is emphasizing the otherness of those two groups, the tax collectors and the sinners, right? These folks who were not liked or approved of in Jesus's community, and so you treat them as such with disapproval and the expectation that they should change. This, this all makes sense to me. And if they do not repent, they're not in the community anymore. They've been sent away. They got what they deserve. But first glances miss an awful lot of things. Like the fact that Matthew, the author of this gospel, was himself a tax collector. Earlier in chapter 9, Jesus calls Matthew to be a disciple. Jesus goes with Matthew to eat at his house and this action prompts the Pharisees to ask why Jesus is willing to eat with who? Why is he willing to eat with tax collectors and sinners? In response to the question of the Pharisees, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus did not come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. 
And so we need to question the assumption that I made in Matthew 18, 15 to 17, about how it's meant to be about people being cast away. How Jesus treated the sinners and tax collectors invites us to recognize that there should be more effort than what my initial interpretation was. Timothy Gettert, someone who has put in much effort to interpretation, writes this on verse 17. When every effort fails, we have finally the right to kick them out of the church, right? Wrong. Just the opposite. We never seek and are never given the right to dispense with a fallen member. Did you get that? We never seek and are never given the right to dispense with the fallen member. Gettert goes on to point out that this, this final measure to let them be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector or a sinner and a tax collector is a recognition of the person choosing to distance themselves from fellowship. And our goal is now to win them back into the fellowship that they were once a part of. You see, the point of this passage isn't a, a roadmap for how to appropriately punish a sinner in your midst. The point of it is a detailed outline of the great lengths that we are called to go to in order to hold on to each other in community. Perhaps some of you think that this is a lot to assume based on only two verses of this chapter of Matthew. But this is where I want to bring us back to Matthew as a whole, Matthew 18 as a whole, sorry, because this similar passage was key, the smaller passage, sorry, was key to how I began to understand the entirety of the chapter. The book of Matthew is about the kingdom of heaven, helping us understand what it looks like through the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so Matthew 18 joins the broader context in giving us this valuable and essential insight into the values of the kingdom. Let's walk through Matthew 18 section by section now. Verses 1 to 5. When the disciples ask about who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is, they were likely sourcing this question from their earthly view of greatness as prestige or power. The word great here comes from the Greek megas, which is used as large or wide, something that takes up more space than other things, something that is bigger than others. So keeping that in mind, it is noteworthy how Jesus surprises the audience by suggesting that children, are the greatest. This isn't a picture of Megas. This is a picture of humility and childlikeness. This is the value of the kingdom. Verses six to nine, the last section on on the children here is important because Jesus goes on to speak of how hard we must work to not cause each other to stumble, not to uh, cause harm to these little ones. 
he details radical and desperate calls to self-discipline in order to keep and protect others from being led astray by our actions or our words. This is the value of the kingdom. Verses 10 to 14, Jesus tells the parable of a shepherd who has 100 sheep. And when one wanders away and is lost, the shepherd leaves the rest of them to find it and bring it back. And in this way, Jesus reveals that God cares so deeply for his flock that he actively pursues even the one that wanders and rejoices at its return. This is the value of the kingdom. And verses 21 to 35, at the end of the chapter, Jesus closes with his expectation on forgiveness, that we be willing to forgive not seven times, but 77 times. And through the parable of the unmerciful servant, he reveals his expectation that we receive the, that as we receive the incredible grace of God through forgiveness, that we then are to in turn pass it on to others. This is the value of the kingdom. So keeping this entire chapter in mind, we can see a pattern of how God places immense and incredible value on the lives of people, especially those who have experienced a lack of value in their society. God values children and protects them. God pursues those who wander away. God invites us to offer seemingly reckless love and grace as modeled by his own. And in the middle of the chapter and our start point for today, we can admit that God also calls us to a model of conflict resolution that is bent on a radical pursuit of right relationship within our communities. So we see here the way that God goes to great lengths in order to hold on to and to care for us. That's Matthew 18. But in addition to how God's deep valuing of people, there emerges another theme in this chapter that God invites us to deeply value each other in the same way. Let's hop back to our starting passage, verses 15 to 17. Those verses outline the step-by-step process of how believers can address sin between them. But there is an important statement made in verse 15, often unnoticed. 15 reads as follows. If another believer sins against you, go and show them their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen, you have regained that one. You have regained that one. This, this is the purpose statement for the entire process. So often the purpose has been assigned to the process itself, all these steps, or the end results, the uh, letting them become like the sinners and the tax collectors. But the purpose is found in verse 15, to regain that one. 
every step of this process is an attempt to make that step the last one. Because if you don't have to do any more steps, that means you've succeeded. And if you've succeeded, that means that you have regained that person. Notice that it doesn't say if the member listens to you, then you've correctly punished that one or you have scolded that one adequately. It says you have regained that one. Regaining one. Sound familiar? The parable of the lost sheep is found in the verses just before the section on resolving sin, and it depicts a noteworthily similar purpose. Though the majority, 99 out of 100 in fact, of the sheep remain in the fold, God is still unreserved in his pursuit of the one that has left so that he might regain that one. God's heart desires that all be found, all be returned to the fold under his care. To be honest, it can be difficult to understand how beautiful this parable is. As someone who grew up in a Christian home, attended Sunday school, camps, youth group, you name it, I was very familiar with this story. But when this story of the sheep became my story, it took on a whole new meaning. More years ago than I care to admit, I was a student on CMU's out-of-town discipleship program. It's a travel program that spends one semester out in Western Canada and one semester abroad in Guatemala, in my case. Throughout the program, you had speakers and worship nights and outings and, and hikes and all manner of adventure and faith-building endeavors. I have had a long journey with mental illness, specifically depression. And while I am very comfortable in it now, back when I was on this year of Bible school, I was in one of my lowest places. I was not yet familiar with how to navigate such a low, not yet equipped with the resources that I have now. And so on one particularly difficult evening, I found myself alone. My community was gathered together for a worship night in the chapel at the camp that we were staying at, and I chose to be in the dining hall, wallowing in the dark mood that had taken me that day. While the other 33 people of my team were together, I sat apart, crying and journaling, isolating myself from connection. It was into this space that a young boy came into the dining hall and asked me where the chapel was. He was the son of our speaker for that week and he, he didn't know where to go. Frustrated at being interrupted, I gave him directions. You just walk out the door of the dining hall, head straight down on the path that goes directly to the chapel, which will be the only building with lights on and music playing in it, and you're good to go but he said he had gone that way and that he couldn't find it. So, begrudgingly, I got up and I brought him to the chapel. I will emphasize now it was as easy as that, but for some reason, he had not been able to find it. When I approached the space that I should have been in, 
but wasn't. I was overcome with the need to enter it. Though I had resisted and tried to stay away, now that I was near, I knew I needed to come in to rejoin my community, to be cared for by the people who loved me in a time when I needed them. And in that space, a seed was planted, a seed of healing that as it has grown over the years has become a hope for me in my mental health journey that has lasted to this day. When I look back on this story, I see a lost and lonely sheep in myself, wandered away, lost. And I also see God coming to find me in order to bring me back to himself, in order to regain me. And I am forever grateful. God's heart desires that all be found, that all be returned to the fold under his care. And God's heart is for us to care for each other in a similar fashion. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are the children, those whom the society of Jesus has stripped of power and status. God deeply values people and invites us to do the same. The welcome and protection of the children that Jesus focused on is then a priority. They are so valuable and important that the text is clear that we should be avoiding being the source of their harm or abuse at all costs. God deeply values people and invites us to do the same. The one sheep being sought after and regained highlights God's heart for all to be in the fold and creates a space where every person is wanted. Though Jesus did not include this in the parable of the lost sheep, I would argue that the 99 who remain are invited to join with God in that rejoicing because the lost one from among them has been returned to them too. God deeply values people and invites us to do the same. In our world, we get caught up in ideas like they get what they deserve, which summarizes how I once understood verses 15 to 17 and how churches were to deal with conflict. But they get what they deserve is a motto for our world only. Society fixates on an economy of earning money, respect, status, prestige. From our words and actions, we are endlessly working to earn our reward. And similarly, for our faults, our mistakes and our missteps, we also earn our punishments. Though in reality, our rewards and our punishments are never consistently equal to what we have done, and our rewards are never equal among those who are toiling for them. And yet we, the people of this world, continue to toil, to try to get ahead, to earn the next thing, to get what we deserve. But the good news is that that is not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven desperately desires the created people of God to enter in and to remain. The kingdom of heaven values every single person, 
It values humility, integrity, grace. It offers us forgiveness in abundance and invites us in turn to offer that in abundance to those around us. The kingdom of heaven is a picture of a community so dedicated to the love of God and neighbor that in the challenges of sin and conflict, the regaining of each person is considered the most important thing. Jesus calls tax collectors and sinners to him. Jesus elevated women in a society that devalued them. Jesus invites us to take lessons from children. Jesus brings healing to people's bodies and their souls. Jesus repeatedly reaches out, valuing mercy, not sacrifice, calling sinners to him, regaining each person through his love and his grace. As we see from our chapter of focus today, the task of drawing people into the loving presence of Jesus is important. Important enough to have hard conversations. Important enough to devote time and energy to the process of regaining each person. And important enough to continue to pursue each person even if they choose to wander away. God deeply values people and invites us to do the same. As you exist as a community of believers and I join you from here in Manitoba, let us all be reminded that we have entered this place through the grace of God. In all of the things that we do, including how we see children, discipline ourselves not to harm others, value one another, returning to the group of 99, speak to each other when there's sin and conflict and offer radical forgiveness. May we be reminded that God deeply values every person and God invites us to do the same. Amen.